Our scripture lesson this evening is taken from two passages of scripture. The first one is Luke chapter 22 on page 1214, 1214, Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. This is at the uh, end of the Last Supper where Jesus is warning his disciples of a trial to come. Luke Luke 22, verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers, brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me, deny three times that you know me. And then reading also from 1 Peter chapter 4, page 1,394, page 1,394, 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12 and reading through the end of the chapter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not obey, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Thus far, the reading of God's Word in conjunction with it, I'd like to read to you from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52 on page 257 in the Forms and Prayers book. Page 257, Lord's Day 52, the last Lord's Day, where I'm going to focus on the first question and answer. I'll read the whole Lord's Day, but my focus is only on uh, the sixth petition. What does the sixth petition mean? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil means. We are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. How do you conclude this prayer? 
for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. This means that we have made all these petitions of you because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name, because your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. What does that little word amen express? Amen means this shall truly and surely be. For it is much more certain that God has heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire such things from him. Beloved of the Lord, last Sunday morning we considered the need to forgive and be forgiven so that we might have assurance that our sins are forgiven. But when we have that assurance that our sins are forgiven, we are not yet done with sin. The last petition of the Lord's Prayer teaches us to fight against the presence of sin in our lives, even though we have already escaped the punishment for it. It's a petition that grows out of love, not fear. A petition that grows out of our love for Christ and our desire to please Him. A, a desire that shows that we hate sin because sin just is worthy to be hated. And we know it distresses our God to see us sin. Jesus is the bride. We are the bridegroom. And like many bridegrooms, the bridegroom, or many brides, the bride is eager to please the bridegroom. Love and devotion makes your heart want to give and please. And so now all fear of punishment has been removed. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have this loving relationship with God as our Father and Christ as our brother. We are his people. He is our God. We want to serve him and show our love for him. And one of the best things that we can do now is get rid of indwelling sin, fight against it so that we don't continually to fall into sin. That's what this petition is all about, getting rid of that uh, indwelling sin that remains in the life of the Christian so that we can demonstrate our love and our devotion to the God who has loved us and sent his son Jesus to die for us. Now, before we get into that matter, let me just say as sort of an aside to the critics of the Christian faith that there is no contradiction between this petition of the Lord's Prayer and what the Apostle James writes in James chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, this is often thrown up in the face of Christians uh, as a challenge to uh, your faith, saying, uh, James in his epistle says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Indeed, that's what the Bible says, and James says that, God tempts no one with evil. Well, then why does Jesus teach, lead us not into temptation, as if it's God who is uh, leading us into temptation, or God who tempts us? Uh, well, there is a difference between tempted with evil and being led in such a way as to uh, be in circumstances where God is uh, uh, stressing our faith in order to make it stronger, and Satan uses that as an opportunity to uh, 
push us into sin, tempt us with evil. Uh, there is a big difference here between what James is talking about and what Jesus is talking about. Uh, Jesus is talking about the fact that God does uh, test our faith. He does uh, give us trials to endure. But uh, Satan then tries to use those to uh, bring us down and cause us to fall into sin. I'll give some examples of uh, that uh, in a little while, but I want to just make that clear at the beginning that there is no real contradiction here. Now, in order to understand this petition of the Lord's Prayer, we, we have to delve into this matter, the fact that Lord does uh, lead us into situations where our faith is tested and tried, where he stresses us in order to help us to grow. Uh, to put it in the words of the Apostle Peter, uh, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which uh, is to try you, as though something strange had happened to you. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials. Fiery trials are to be expected. God is constantly testing the faith of his people. This goes back to early times. We read in Genesis 22, verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham. We read about it again in Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and so forth. Uh, God uh, tested the very uh, patriarch from whom uh, the, our faith is uh, descended. Psalm 66, verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Uh, silver goes through the fire and psalmist is saying, you've tested us like silver. You've put us through the fire of affliction. Think of uh, the many plagues in Egypt, the ten plagues in Egypt, and then the uh, wilderness journey, their backs up against the Red Sea, the army uh, chasing them, no way of escape until God opened up a way through the Red Sea. But their faith was put to the test again and again. Water was lacking, food was lacking, the meat was lacking, and uh, they, they were tested again and again in the wilderness. When they came into the promised land, they saw giants in the land, and their faith was put to the test again. Uh, the Apostle James writes in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, "'Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial,' For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The psalmist in Psalm 34 says, Many, many, not few, but many are the afflictions of the righteous. David in the Psalms uh, struggles to understand why the wicked seem to always prosper. Life is easy for them, but for the righteous, there's all these trials. And so Peter tells us in our text, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now these trials can be grievous and painful, or they can just be petty and annoying. Many of them are indeed painful and, and grievous. Uh, do not, uh, he writes, uh, now, for a little while, Peter writes in the beginning of his epistle, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. Uh, Job's suffering was intense. Job's suffering was painful. 
It was painful emotionally. It was painful physically. Paul's thorn in the flesh was not a literal thorn. That word thorn is used metaphorically, but it's a a good metaphor for what he had to do because it was a physical affliction that caused him a great deal of stress and pain. He pleaded with the Lord three times that the Lord would remove that thorn in the flesh, and the Lord said, no, it's, it's for your good. It's so that uh, you are kept humble in light of all the surpassing uh, revelations that you have received. Almost all of the apostles were, or they all were persecuted for the faith, faith, and almost all of them were martyred for the faith, and being martyred for the faith is not an easy thing to have to endure. Even today, there are many Christians throughout the world who are persecuted physically, kidnapped, thrown into prison, martyred for the faith, uh, gunned down, heads chopped off. Uh, We read about it uh, again and again in the news. Uh, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But these trials can also be those petty annoyances of everyday life, the, the hundred little things that go wrong that test your patience and seemingly ruin your day and make you miserably miserable and a, a grump and a grouch and no fun to be around. Uh, it happens again and again that if something can go wrong, it will go wrong because we live in a world that groans under the curse of God. And so Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. This is part of what it means to be a Christian. Peter says it's sharing or partaking in Christ's sufferings. As Christ suffered, we are called to suffer with him. And Paul says, if we suffer with him, then we know that we shall also share in his glory. We tend to be surprised because our default mode of thinking is that Good people will be rewarded for being good and bad people will be punished for being bad. And so if something bad happens to me, I'm probably being punished for, for being bad. And, and if we're Christians, we say, you know, aren't we the beloved children of God? Shouldn't our life be a bed of roses? Shouldn't he be making everything go smoothly for us? Look at Job. How is he described at the first, in the first chapter of the book of Job? Job was blameless. He was blameless, and yet God inflicted this great suffering on him through the instrumentality of the devil. Uh, his, His trials were indeed grievous, and it was no punishment for sin. We uh, considered not too long ago Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. The sisters send word to Jesus The one whom you love is sick. And John wants to underscore that they weren't exaggerating when they said the one whom you love. Because the very next thing that John says is, and Jesus loved Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. He really did love them. He loved them with agape love. He loved them with uh, Philip. Philia love, uh, companionship love. Uh, He was more than just a friend to them. And they went through grievous trials. Don't be surprised as though something uh, strange were happening to you. 
In these trials, of course, God is spurring us on to greater growth. God's tests are learning experiences for us, made to mold and shape our character. Paul in Romans 5 says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And Peter writes that uh, now you have for a little while, if necessary, have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That as you go through these trials, and it's like gold going through the fire to burn out the dross, so that when you appear at the judgment seat of God, your life will be a testament of uh, God's grace that will bring glory to God and glory to Jesus Christ. James writes the same account, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials uh, or trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now it's concerning these trials that we are praying in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Now, you might wonder, if these trials are for our good, why do we ask God not to lead us in them, lead us into them? Is this some contradiction? Shouldn't we say, God, send the trials, send the painful suffering, send all the suffering you want because I see that it's for my good. Why does Jesus teach us to pray this? Well, uh, the answer is to be found in the fact that in, the Lord's, in this petition of the Lord's Prayer, we really have two requests. It's lead us into, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And those are really two petitions. The first one is, if you can spare us the pain, please spare us the pain. But if it's necessary for us to endure the pain, then make our faith strong. And really it's the second petition which is the emphasis in this petition. You know, if you look at the catechism's treatment of this petition of the Lord's Prayer, it's all about that second part, about lead us not uh, of, uh, lead, uh, keep us from, from sinning. Lead us not of temptation, but deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil so that we don't fall into sin, so that we don't commit evil. It's all about strength. It's, it's not so much about the circumstances of trials and tribulations, but they are inevitable, they're going to happen, and uh, uh, when they happen, please make us strong. In ourselves, uh, we are too weak to stand even for a moment, so, so make us strong. That's, that's the emphasis in this petition on the second part of it. Now, does that mean we shouldn't pray the first part? No. Uh, we see Jesus praying these two parts in his prayer in the garden, you know. Uh, let this cup pass from me, this cup of suffering. Uh, I don't want to suffer, but if it must be, then so be it, you know. Not my will, but your will be done. And uh, so he too uh, uh, praise this prayer. Now, the first part, 
lead us not in temptation. The, the Bible is full of examples of that. Uh, Psalm 50 uh, instructs us, call on me in the day of trouble. Uh, call on me. I, I want you, if you're in trouble, I want you to call to me and, and ask me for help, and I will deliver you, and, and you will praise me. That's what Psalm 50 verse 15 says. Uh, that's what Mary and Martha did. In the day of trouble, they called upon the Lord, but the Lord didn't uh, send relief. He, Jesus could have healed Lazarus uh, just by snapping his fingers or just saying the word. Uh, he didn't have to be there. One of his miracles was to heal someone from a great distance. In one of the seven miracles in John was to heal from a great distance. And he could have healed Lazarus from a distance, but he didn't do that. Uh, he let them go on. But uh, he also uh, uh, supported them so that when he did get there, they, they met him without anger. They met him without accusation. They say, if you had been here, uh, we know you could have healed him. And even now we know you, that you can do whatever you want, uh, that, that God is with you. Uh, they still trusted him. They, they submitted to his will. They, they, they were put through the fire, but they didn't sin. Uh, they uh, understood that uh, God was uh, with them still, and uh, they weren't afraid. Uh, because uh, God is sovereign, uh, he can deliver us from trials, and so we should uh, ask to be delivered from those trials. When uh, we get word that a missionary's daughter-in-law is sick with cancer, we can pray, Lord, heal. I mean, thousands of people came to Jesus when he was on this earth asking for that very thing. I'm sick, heal me. My friend is sick, heal my friend. Uh, uh, my daughter is ill, uh, heal him. My, my uh, son is uh, demon-possessed, uh, please heal him. Again and again, people in trouble came and asked to be delivered from that. So we pray, lead us not into them, those circumstances where our faith is stressed and where life is difficult and hard. That's a very legitimate prayer. But we can't demand it. We can ask for it, but we can't demand it. We say, Lord, you, we deserve peace and safety. We deserve good health. So you have to give it to us. No, we say, Lord, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done. If we are to suffer, then make us strong. Uh, let us not fall into the hands of the evil one. Uh, some examples of people praying to be not led into temptation, not to be put in circumstances where their sin is found, for example, in Proverbs 30, a passage you probably uh, remember. Uh, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He's asking God there, you know, don't make me too rich because if I get too rich, I'll forget you. Uh, that always happens. Uh, to, uh, it happened to Israel. They grew fat and uh, lazy and they forgot God is what uh, Nehemiah prays in his uh, long prayer. Uh, so uh, don't make me too rich, but don't make me too poor because then I might be tempted to steal. Just give me what I need so that I, and, and teach me to be content and then I'll be in a situation where my faith is not stressed and where I'm not uh, tempted to sin. Uh, we, uh, uh, the Bible uh, commands us to pray prayers like that and so forth, but uh, our prayers don't stop there. 
we recognize that fiery trials will come. And so when they come, we mustn't be surprised and we need to remember that what we need most of all is strength. We need strength to keep God-given trials from becoming traps from Satan. Satan works hard to make every test from God a trap. Whether it ends up being a trap or a test will in large part depend upon you fulfilling your duty, fulfilling your obligation. Will you neglect your duty or will you do your duty? In this case, your duty is to, uh, to pray. Uh, the neglect of duty is, uh, includes other things as well. Uh, the prime example that always comes to my mind is uh, King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11 where we read about his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, the chapter starts, I, I don't know the exact words, but uh, the chapter starts to this effect. In the spring of the year, when kings go out to war, and you know the rest. Uh, his generals were out to war. He wrote letters to them later on in the chapter, but he wasn't there. Uh, kings go out to war in the spring. That's what they should be doing, but he neglected his duty. And when he neglected his duty, he fell into sin. Well, the same is true for you and me. If we neglect our duty, and here the, the primary duty is the duty of prayer, which is waging war, waging war against the evil one by, by getting on our knees. That's how we wage war, one of the primary methods by which we put on the armor of God in, under all circumstances, pray. Uh, that's listed at the, the end of the list of armaments for war in Ephesians uh, 6. And so uh, we too need to pray. At the Last Supper, I didn't read the whole account, but uh, when Jesus warns his disciples that this night uh, they're all going to deny him, uh, he urges them to pray. When he goes to the garden, he urges them to, to stay awake and pray with him. And he's so disappointed that they, they, they don't pray. And indeed, they did not pray. And because they did not pray, they were afraid, uh, afraid of arrest, afraid perhaps of being put to death, and they, they all ran. They all ran and were shamed and disgraced and uh, betrayed Jesus by running away from him. The Heidelberg Catechism says, by ourselves we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And the first line of defense against falling into sin is prayer. This petition of the Lord's Prayer teaches us that we can only pass God's test if we cry out to Him for prayer, uh, cry out to Him in prayer, asking uh, for His help. Uh, uphold us, uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit so that we go down, do not go down in defeat in this spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies. That uh, is uh, what the Catechism says. The Bible says the same thing. Psalm 19, verse 12. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over us. Do you pray about that? Do you pray, keep me from willful sins? Don't let them rule over me. You know, so often we're, we're just so pleased with ourselves that uh, we're simply praying that we'll be able to, to get our work done and, and do this and that, and we pray for our children, we pray for our grandchildren, and we don't pray, Lord, I'm weak. I need your strength. Please deliver me from willful sins that they may not rule over me. 
Again, Psalm 141, verses 3 and 4. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let my heart, let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. Have you felt the the enticing power of evil, how it tugs at your heart, how it draws you toward itself? How are you going to resist that? How are you going to say, no, I'm not going to give in this time? You get down on your knees in prayer, and you say, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. Notice how the sin that he's concerned about is the sin of his lips. How how small a fire is set apart, set afire by a little flame, and so it is with the tongue. It can do such great damage. It can, so our hearts can so easily be led into sin by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong person, and and we we just we do it. We do it again and again because we are negligent in our duty to pray. Psalm 119, verse 133. Direct my footsteps, let not sin rule over me. Again, that same expression, let not sin rule over me. Uh, direct my footsteps. That's, that's the petition, the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Direct my footsteps, let not sin rule over me. Now, the Catechism says that God answers this prayer by uh, uh, strengthening us with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we should understand that what the Spirit uses is not magic, but He uses uh, the Word. The Spirit works together through the Word, particularly the promises of God, by assuring us of His love and by giving us the promise of His protection that uh, nothing can separate us from His love, not even death, and by assuring us of eternal life and ever-increasing glory and joy. This is how God answers the prayer. And so, if we pray, we need to expose ourselves to the answer as well and uh, let the Spirit work through the Word to minister to our hearts the promises of God that uh, show us that God is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us, and uh, He will be with us. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego indeed endured a fiery trial. <laughs> I don't know if they were surprised or not. Uh, Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. He was thinking of them. Uh, perhaps they were not surprised. They knew they were in a pagan land. They knew they had a pagan king who had a, a God complex. And uh, they probably expected to be put on trial and tested. And they didn't know the outcome. But they knew that, that God would be with them either in life or in death. God would take care of them. They knew the promises of God. And so they, they were made strong to resist temptation because they knew that God would be with them no matter what, in life or in death. I am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, and he'll make all things work together for my good. Nothing can separate me from his love. That gives me the strength to face the trials and tribulations of this life. Now, some of you may yet be thinking why God would allow us to have to endure all this. I mean, wouldn't this all be just so much easier if God had made a world where there was no sin, where the very possibility of it didn't exist, and where we could just live in peace and safety? Why not 
just put us in that future state uh, now and not to make us go through these trials? Well, there's one, one answer that uh, uh, is uh, sort of the, the rational answer, the logician's answer, and that is that love, in order to be true love, has to be freely bestowed. If God had created us in such a way that we could never fall into sin, then uh, we would simply be uh, uh, like uh, robots or uh, automatons or machines, uh, only capable of doing what had been programmed uh, in us. We were created to enjoy something better. We were created to enjoy the kind of love that exists within the Trinity, among the persons of the Trinity, as they freely choose to love one another and love one another with an ever-increasing and, and glorious love. We were created to be free to choose to love God. In order to be free to choose to love God, we have to be free to choose not to love. And our first parents had that freedom, and they made a choice, and uh, uh, that choice uh, corrupted them so to such an extent that all their children now are corrupt. We're still free, but the freedom is now to act according to our nature, and our nature is sinful so that all our choices are sinful apart from God's grace, not until He remakes us, gives us a new birth, gives us new life, can we begin again to freely choose to, to love Him and serve Him. That's one answer why there's uh, evil in the world, because love has to be free to choose in order to be true love. But I think a better answer is, is simply the answer that, that is found at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, where we are instructed to address God as our Father. He's our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. And we are His children. And how did that come about? That came about because He loved us and sent His Son Jesus to die for us. He has shown us that He is a Father who loves us. And that ought to make us content to accept what he gives us without uh, answering back, without uh, complaint that uh, if we were God, we would have known how to do it better. Uh, we would have created a world where uh, love could be free and there could be no evil or something like that, you know. He's the heavenly father, we're the children. You know, children often are anxious and upset, and they are always asking, why? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? And uh, why is it this way? And why is it that way? And why is the sky blue? And they, there's so much that they don't understand. And sometimes they're frightened, and sometimes they're upset. What calms them? Well, sometimes an explanation will help, but almost always a hug helps. <laughs> When, you, when a little child is frightened and upset, you go and you, you hold their hand or you, you hug them, you give them a, an embrace, you give them a kiss, and, and their fears melt away because they know they're loved. Their complaints melt away because they know that they are loved. Well, we're God's children. He's the infinite God. We're the finite creature. He has infinite knowledge. We have limited knowledge which is also clouded by sin. We sometimes are upset and don't understand why. Why do these trials have to come into our lives? And he says, 
Look at the cross. See what I did for you there. Feel my hug. (laughs) Feel my hug that comes in the love with which I have loved you, that I gave my son for you, that that your sins might be forgiven. Consider my promises to you that, that, that you will have eternal life in a world that is perfect. Know that I love you. When we remember that we're his children, he's our father, and he loves us, then we can rest content in his love and uh, put aside our complaints and our, our reasoning that says, uh, oh, I think I could do it better. No, God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what we need better than we need ourselves. We may pray, Lord, don't let trouble come into my life. We may pray that. We may not demand it, but we may ask for it. But above all, we need to pray, when trouble comes, make me strong so that I don't fall into sin, so that my life is not a disgrace, and so that I bring no shame upon myself, upon my family, upon the church, and upon the name of Jesus Christ, but rather that my life might be a testimony to your praise by the strength that you give. That's what this prayer is all about and what you and I need to pray. Amen.